0: The classroom. Since the 1950s, the setup of your average 6th grade classroom hasn't changed all that much. You probably have an idea of what I'm talking about. You know, desks lined up, students facing forward, teacher up at the front giving a lecture. And The same can often be said for higher education, too. So what gives? In early October, EdSurge hosted the Austin Tech for School Summit in Texas, and while there, we wanted to learn a little bit more about what administrators and entrepreneurs are doing to actively create the modern classroom. Meaning, how are they redefining what classrooms look like and how they function? Do we blow up the design entirely? Do we bring in more project-based learning? In this podcast, you'll hear from a slew of experts. Superintendent Royce Avery and Angela Matthews of Manor ISD, Director of Technology Erin Bone Anderson of Austin ISD, Assistant Principal Chris Waugh of Ann Richards School, and John Phillips of Dell, who looks after worldwide education strategy. But first, let's get to the news bits. I'm Mary Jo Matta. Welcome to the EdSurge Podcast. Google Education just released two new features to make life easier on guardians and graduates. For guardians, it's no longer necessary to have a Google account in order to receive student progress email summaries, and for graduates, the company is launching a system to help transfer emails, projects, and other documents saved in their G Suite for Education account into another Google account. The LearnLaunch Institute and Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education have a new public-private partnership aimed to get personalized learning tactics and tools exchanged and implemented in more schools. Called the MAPLE program, it brings together 12 catalyst districts to share funding strategies, digital tools, and solutions with other schools looking to implement personalized learning approaches. Parents may like technology in schools, but unfortunately, many still don't know about policies intended to protect their kids' privacy. According to a study by the Future of Privacy Forum, or FPF, only 21% of parents know about federal laws that limit a public school's ability to use a child's information, and 55% don't know about restrictive data laws at all. New America analyst Manuela Ikowo says the president-elect faces a triplet challenge in edtech, ensuring tools are effective, outcomes are equitable, and that there's an equilibrium between companies making tools and the students and educators who are using them. She encourages the Trump administration to consider how innovation, especially around predictive analytics, impacts underserved students. And now it's time for ka <laughs> Mastery Connect has raised $4.5 million in a Series C round from existing investors including Catamount Ventures, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation, Pelion Ventures, and Trinity Ventures. This funding comes just a few months after the company laid off roughly 30% of its staff. Now, the Salt Lake City-based company is back to growing, this time on the right track, its current CEO Mick Hewitt says in an EdSurge interview. Check out that and more on edsurge.com. Pluralsight, which offers an online library of more than 5,000 technical, design, and business courses for professionals, recently raised $30 million in a round from existing investors, Insight Venture Partners, and Iconic Capital. To be quite frank, the modern classroom oftentimes feels like an oxymoron. Walk into most classrooms, and there's very little that's modern about them. But in Texas, several administrators are taking the plunge into playing around with teacher preparation and project-based learning. How do you make learning in the classroom real, deep, and meaningful? And is Texas the place where it's really happening? Let's get to the interview, where you'll hear from Superintendent Royce Avery and Angela Matthews of Manor ISD. Director of Technology Aaron Bone Anderson of Austin ISD, Assistant Principal Chris Waugh of Ann Richards School, and John Phillips of Dell, on the ins and outs of updating that place where so many teachers and students spend their time. Is your classroom up to par, or is there something that you can take away from one of these panelists? Um, Hello everybody, my name is Mary Jo Matta. I am a senior editor at EdSearch, and I am excited to be back in Texas, because I actually used to teach here. No offense, I taught in Houston. Please don't judge me. Okay, so she's not, is anybody in here judging? No. No? Is anybody from Houston? Yes, ooh, that, man, you are so, I've never seen someone as excited as that lady to be from Houston. Oh, traffic is terrible. But I mean, if you live in Texas, you know this. Um, All right, so we are just going to go right into it. The topic of today's panel is gonna be pretty interesting. So the topic is the modern classroom. And you may be wondering to yourself, what the heck does that mean? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, unfortunately, in the 1950s, classrooms were set up a very particular way and not a heck of a lot has changed up until now and a lot of districts and teachers and administrators from all over the country are attempting to redefine what the modern classroom looks like. But don't take it from us. We have five fabulous individuals up here who are going to give their thoughts about what it takes to make a quote-unquote modern classroom and how the rest of you can potentially achieve that in your own districts as well. So what we're going to do is I'm actually going to let each of our panelists uh, self-introduce and I'd also like you to, so I'd like you to say what your title is, what district you're from, or what company you're from, and one thing that you think qualifies what you would call a modern classroom. What is an attribute of a modern classroom in your mind? And we're going to start with Dr. Royce Avery right here.
1: Hey, good morning, hi, my name is uh, Dr. Royce Avery. I'm the new superintendent of Maynard ISD. Been there for about three months. Uh, and so, very excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. Uh, again, one of the things that I have, you know, in my tenure in the, within the three months, is really looking at how to innovate the classroom uh, and. Some of the specifics about what Maynard has done over the last couple of years is the new tech model uh, and being able to engage the classroom, not only with the technology piece, but having student-led opportunities to drive the instruction, and so we're looking to expand upon that philosophy and being able to do a lot more with with kids uh, in in that classroom and really Getting kids outside the classroom and to do is the inside outside kind of, of approach. So, uh, looking forward to expanding that and, and looking at new ways to also enhance that as well.
2: Thank you. I'm Angela Matthews. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Manor ISD, and uh, I have been in Manor for eight years now in two different positions. And um, so, as I look at think about what a the modern classroom needs to be, the it's. <laughs> You know, like you said, it hasn't changed a whole lot over the years. But um, we're trying to change it by putting tools in our kids' hands. Well, that's not always the solution. I think we need to embrace the concept of getting our kids exposed to things other than what's just in those four walls. We need to tear down those walls. We need to bring industry to our kids. We need to take our kids to the field. We need to make all of their all of their learning needs to be... Um, relevant people need to see what they're doing people need to be able to respond to what they're doing and so these tools that we're putting in their hands are going to help with that a little bit but we don't want the tools to just take the place of a textbook you know, you see pictures of, of kids from 20 years ago where they're sitting in rows with a textbook and the teacher still standing in the front of the room. But today we're seeing pictures of kids still sitting in front of rows with the teacher standing in front of the classroom instead of a textbook, they have an iPad or a laptop. That is not making the classroom modern. Uh, the classroom being more modern is when we're bringing the real world to them and um, teaching them to collaborate, communicate, you know, those, those C's that we, that we talk about, we need to quit talking about it and start doing it.
3: Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Erin Bowne Anderson, Director of Technology Integration in Austin ISD, and um, the very proud director of a lot of technology design coaches, actually, that are in the room, yay. Um, and really, we've embraced a model their, their titles, Technology Design Coaches, really says it all, right? We, we work on integrating technology. We embrace the idea of design thinking and what that means and how it translates to student uh, experience and in coaching. So providing the opportunity for people to reflect on their practice, you know, a reciprocal um, opportunity for action and reflection is very, very um, core to what we believe. As far as a modern classroom goes, I would say that the biggest factor that we talk about a lot and that are working on has to do with mindset. It has to do with who's controlling um, the information in the classroom, um, truly embracing student agency, and what does it look like when not only are we bringing authentic um, experiences to the classroom, but we're valuing the authentic experiences that the students bring to the classroom. And so really embracing um, our incredible, wonderful diversity and letting that express itself, particularly from um, kids who have not had that experience. So amplifying underrepresented voices is incredibly important and technology helps us to do that. Um, So to me, the, the modern classroom really is a shifting of roles and responsibilities and control.
4: Well said. Uh, Good morning, everyone. My name is John Phillips, and I work for Dell. I look after our worldwide education strategy at Dell. I've been at EdTech for about 20 years, at Dell for about five years. And um, I spend time traveling the world, mainly in the U.S. and Canada, but certainly get to all the other places around the world usually um, in a calendar year. And really spend time with teachers and students and EdTech leaders. And superintendents and school leaders really talking about um, modern learning. And I think there's two key things I think that I see um, that I hope to share as best practices for you all today. Um, The two two things I see a modern classroom defined as a classroom that is is actually messy, it's loud, and it's fun. It looks kind of, it looks for us adults, it looks very chaotic. And it was like, what's going on in there, right? Well, a lot of really cool stuff is going on in there. And then the other thing that I see that is starting to really um, cascade around the globe is teachers, you won't find them, as we've said, tethered to the front of the classroom, right? You may appear in the room and you may not be able to see them. Where, where, where's the teacher? Oh, the teacher's over there. It's really cool to see that. And then to hear these things, these three questions that I hear asked in modern classrooms, you know students are engaged with and charged with well what did you just learn how does that make you feel and what are you going to do about it and I think those last two questions are questions that define a modern classroom a lot of times we ask what did you learn right but do we ask how does it make you feel and what are you going to do about it the what are you going to do about it leads to that idea of modern classroom being more centered around the student leading and I think that's a prevailing trend that's separating the great from good in terms of modernism and learning I agree <laughs> and what is your name
5: well I'm Chris Waugh and I'm really lucky to go last I'm the academic Dean for Ann Richards School for Young Women Leaders here in Austin Texas we're a 6 through 12 all-girls school where uh, we've been doing PBL for the last 10 years this is our 10th year um, I absolutely agree with everybody um, that everything that was set up here. I don't think that we should just tear down the walls. I think that we need to blow up our schools, actually. I don't know if that shouldn't be quoted, Not but. <laughs> right, no, physically. Like, I think our, you know, a great model of a school would be Barton Creek Mall. I think that would be an excellent school. I think, I agree, I think when you walk into a classroom, you want to see creativity, you want to feel creativity, and that's hard to put words around what that looks like, but you know when you're in there and what that looks, or or how it feels. The other thing is we gotta get our teachers um, to move away from teaching and start facilitating, and that is what a modern classroom looks like. So on that note, let's talk about the element of teachers. At first I was going to ask about
0: students more, but since you brought that up, and I think that's a really important point, when it comes to modernizing the classroom, you have your early adopters, and then you have what I like to call your chicken littles, who are your teachers that you know scream, "Oh God, the sky is falling! Everything I've known for the last 30 years is changing. What am I going to do?" How do you prepare that long range of educators to move towards more of a student centered model? I mean, how do you do it? Our first, yeah, can ahead. I start? Go ahead.
5: First, right. Okay. We have to make it okay for teachers to fail and fail in front of students because if everything has to be perfect before we launch then we never launch because we can think of a thousand reasons why not to. So, as administrators, we have to open the doors up and say, yeah, you're not going to know all the answers to this, but you know what? You can facilitate your kids to figure out those answers along the way, and I'm okay with this looking messy and loud and it not, you know, working out in the end. As long as the kids in the end can tell me what did you learn through the process, what did you learn through your failures? What will you do differently next time?
4: That's great. May I add something on that? Um, I think that's really well said. Uh, I would say some yeah,
0: no, some, you can show, yeah <laughs> some
4: applause for that. That's this awesome. A loving environment. I would say I've seen some best practices um, of schools that are really trying to help drive. And I think to your question, there we always have um, you know adults that say, "Hmm, I don't know if this is going to work." Some are like, yeah, it's going to work. Um, others are like, hmm, I don't think it's going to work. And so we've seen some really best practices around creating groups of, you know, you want to definitely leverage your early adopters. And you want to, and I use this baseball analogy for those that are, you know, it's kind of baseball, you know, playoff season. Uh, so if you can follow along for a second, um, think of your at-bat as being the early adopter, right? You're in the batting box, the pitcher's throwing the pitch at you. And there's this little thing called on deck, right? It's next up. And the nice thing about next up is you're not in the game, but you're kind of actively in the game. You're next, and so you're watching, and it's a safe place for a teacher. We call those first followers, right? And so those are teachers that we want them to be committed to the cause, but not committed to the pressure, if that makes sense. And then you have the observers, and they're kind of the ones with the arms crossed. They might be the ones you you would say they're sitting in the in, in the audience, getting the popcorn and hot dogs, and saying, "I'm going to watch this thing unfold, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch this game." They're 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 passively committed. And if you think of those those threes, it's an easy way not to overcommit somebody who feels like, well, you know, it's too high stakes for me, right? And I think what was also just said about this idea of of, of mindset, you know, we all probably you know, uh, prescribed to the the theory of growth mindset um, and what that really means, but not getting into the psychology of it, the most important thing of growth mindset is that it needs to be fun and happy to learn, right? This shouldn't be a tedious task. Um, This should be fun. There should be fun. I should love learning something. And so if we use that as kind of our guiding point, I think that's key. But I have seen some of those best practices about helping teachers into these different buckets and progress as as they need to progress, as it's still a way to move a framework forward.
3: Anybody else? I'd love to add something. Um, I think what what we're finding is that in order to meet these needs, right, we absolutely kind of ascribe to this um, trailblazer and first follower um, understanding and building capacity where there are models on campus to see. Um, the other thing that has really been helpful as a framework is to really embrace design thinking. So, you know, step one is empathizing, right? So, in empathizing with our students and truly bringing um, them into the design of the work, another key um, element of design thinking is this idea of prototyping—that you're designing for your first attempt—and to to have the leadership embrace that on a campus, that really opens up the culture so that those kinds of things can happen. And that's what we see at Ann Richards all the time, is the leadership kind of holding the line and allowing the space for some creative design work um, that actually involves the input of the students. So when their voices are reflected, then you start to have some really powerful things that anybody standing by and watching realizes that my practices need to align with that. And it gives a structure. So design thinking has this um, sort of, it, I, was, I was gonna say a fake structure, but it's kind of, it's, it's a helpful structure to look to to provide some guidance about how do I do that? Because a lot of us can embrace the idea, want to do it, and um, have the drive and need a little bit of guidance on how to do it. Design thinking helps to provide the steps in order to move in that direction
2: okay i'm gonna jump on here um i love these things because it gives me a chance to be on my soapbox and nobody cares so um hopping on what what you folks said i i have faith in teachers and i think that the majority of our teachers want to do creative exciting things in their classroom i think the reason that a lot of them don't is because of the um, the fear uh, of what their administrators are expecting from them. And so I almost think that our focus needs to shift from, you know, we spend so much time in classrooms working with teachers, providing PD to the teachers, until we get our administrators, whether it's the principal, the curriculum department, superintendent, um, to embrace the fact that we are going to change, our classrooms are going to look different, when you walk into that room as a, as a evaluator, you're gonna see chaos. That's okay. Teachers so many times I think are afraid to try that because of what the perception is from those who walk into that room. So the focus needs to be, it needs to shift from teaching the teachers because I, I, I honestly believe that the majority of our teachers are willing to try new things because they know that it's going to impact their kids. They know that it's going to change that kid's life, but they have that fear based on what the principal is going to say, see, or, or react. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Let me just add, I think two things for me as, as a superintendent. It is that leadership piece that has to be the shift. Uh, and I think also as a superintendent, superintendents have to be a little bit more engaged in the process. Uh, and one of the things that, I, that I'm uh, transforming is the work that I do with principals because I have to be the model to get in those classrooms and, and, and show that, hey, it is okay for, te- for the teacher to, to step out the box and, and let kids take a little bit more, you know, uh, a, a greater role in the process. In addition to that, I think, you know, as we change the way we do our business in public schools, at least, we have to build that that. that that campus culture that's going to allow that to happen. Right now, we're so structured in the things that we do every day, but we have to step back a little bit and allow you know uh, that risk taking you know, to take place in the classroom, and, and that's and that's a struggle for most administrators. It, it's like, okay, I'm I was trained in the university to be able to do this, to watch for this, but we have evolved a little bit in in public education that we have to stop that a little bit and, and step back and engage and be in make making teachers and administrators feel comfortable as superintendents that that's okay to do. So it, that's that's a shift that has to happen, and and we're hopefully going to make that shift and, and move towards that, you know, uh, leadership to allow in uh, building that school culture to be able to say, it is okay, uh, and then that, that actually that facilities that we are recreating now in our public schools, giving that opportunity to have the space to be able to be wide open to do whatever you choose to do to engage kids.
0: I like that idea. It sort of sounds like you're sort of embodying this walk-the-walk concept, and it's funny because I'm actually, I'm also watching Chris and she's using an app right now. Are you taking notes while this is happening? What is that app that
5: you're using? It's Notability. Awesome.
0: Fantastic. Walking the walk right now. Do
5: we have some Notability
0: fans in there? Okay. Um, At the same time, I will say, I don't always envy the role of an administrator because there's a lot for all of you to have to sort through out there. I will tell you, for all the schools that EdSearch goes to visit, I've been to places where I'll sit down and the administrator will go, we're doing PBL, maker spaces, personalized learning, virtual academies, we made Disneyland. Like they do, they have so many different things. And there's a lot of different buzzwords out there in terms of how to achieve that student-centered goal. So how do you sort through and choose what is going to work best in your schools or districts? Or does it have to be a choice? Can you have a harmonious blend of multiple types of learning?
5: I'll go. Um, You know, for us, it's about our mission statement. So we have a really strong mission statement and we know what we're all about. So we constantly go back to that and that's our school in particular but but we are a PBL school, and for us, what we have to do is we have to make learning real, and I think we have to do that across the board. In education, we have to have authentic experiences and stop doing make-believe school. And until we do that, it doesn't matter what, you know, what PBO, whatever you're gonna do, until you start making school real and you make it deep and meaningful, we're not gonna move forward. Can you dive into what make-believe school is? Yeah, I'm going to give you a really, um, when we started PBL about 10 years ago, we started this, we didn't know what the heck we were doing, and we started this project with our 8th graders, we're going to go to the moon, I don't know, or Mars, we went to Mars, and we're going to create our own society, and yada, 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 great, we planned it for weeks, and weeks, and weeks, it was this beautiful project, we all thought, but We can't go to Mars, people. And so the quality of our projects when we got done wasn't there, and it was because it's not a real thing, and our kids were doing make-believe. And now we've changed our projects to really authentic projects. So our sixth graders right now are building enrichment toys for the Austin Zoo because their animals in captivity go a little nutty when they're in cages. So our sixth graders are building them toys, taking them out there and then doing scientific observation with what what the animals are learning. That is a real, authentic, and we can get our math, our science, our English, all into that project and they're doing something that is meaningful and um, that changes them. So, that's the difference between make-believe school and real school. Anybody
4: else? Yeah, I'd I, I just like to say that building on that, and that was well said, building on that the, the theory of action around the change that we see as an outcome that everybody wants, which is college and career-ready students. Um, on, the, on, on the non-cognitive side of things, which is where everything can really happen, the balance of change hangs in that, is this idea of how do I get students excited about school? Well I need to get them engaged. How do I get them engaged? I need to motivate them. Exactly what was just said, the idea of motivation is not that hard when you ask and invite children into to solve problems. They want to solve real problems, not fake problems, not hey let's go make create this make-believe thing and do it to the point was made about going to Mars. But hey, we, we have you know, a water quality problem in Austin. We have water runoff problems. What do you think you can do about that? What, you invite children into problem solving at the level they feel like they're in a cohort with the teacher and parents and a community. Then you have motivation that leads to engagement, that leads to, hey, I just learned something out of this process. So those are really tangible examples. And it doesn't require a lot of dollars. It doesn't require a lot of space. Um, but it requires a change in, in, in the way you think to engage. And then EdTech can come in to empower that, to put the power in the hands of the student to gain information and access to the problem that they're trying to solve.
3: I'd just like um, to... <laughs> To point out, so what Chris so eloquently stated was this very clear vision um, of a campus. And so from the district level, what we love to see is a clearly articulated vision for a campus that they've come to um, on their own via their community, right? And then embracing whatever it is, whether it's PBL, maybe it's Makerspace, mm-hmm. maybe it's some of those um, things that you mentioned, Mary Jo. But, Understanding that that technology is really going to accelerate you towards whatever your goal is. So if you have no goal, it will also accelerate you towards chaos and um, potential disaster. Right. So um, it is all about developing that clear mission and vision, and then going towards that with a with a clear path forward.
0: Is that similar to how you guys at Mainer have thought about it? Sort of having one mission that you always
2: are trying to strive for with whatever you're doing? Yeah, my answer
1: would be amen. <laughs> amen. Well, amen. I, think, I think the other the other part though, I mean, coming, being new to the district and and our new uh, model is growth through innovation. I'm, I'm really pushing my staff to be able to sh- share with me what what best practices they want to do as a campus, but we're also having programmatic changes that I'm doing right now in the district. To, to be able to to, to have a feeder pattern from elementary to high school that may embrace the project-based learning piece, uh, you know, really trying to give them options as to where we are, and then redevelop the mission statement of what we are about. And so, so I'm in a process of evaluating right now, and not really, uh, you know, making one one. Um, Uh, direction for PBLs or traditional or whatever I want I want to kind of get the feel from staff and visiting classrooms and campuses because it is unique as to what that community is wanting so you have to kind of at least open up so right now we're in an open up phase to see exactly where they are and then we will I will help to to mold exactly which direction we're going to go in uh, each uh, each area
0: now, I want to change the conversation slightly, because one thing I'm also curious about, given that we are in the grand old state of Texas, um, the question of equity sometimes comes up when we do these panels. And I think Texas is the perfect example of this, because given the increase in the amount of English language learners that have skyrocketed in the state of Texas, as well as students of color and very socioeconomic background, there's a lot of different types kids, learning experiences, backgrounds, that you're educating all within the same classrooms. And I put quotes around that because take the word classrooms as you will. How do you proceed with educating all of those students within one building or within one construct? Take a minute and think about
3: it. I, I think this is a huge issue and I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, equity is something that you hear spoken of all across the country and definitely in Texas. We're definitely grappling with wanting um, to address equity, not just through equity of access, but equity of practice. So what kind of experiences are our students getting at every one of our campuses um, and are they ha- or do they have the opportunities that all of our students have. And so um, we're really looking to engage in conversations across our district to open up the lines of communication, break down um, maybe communication silos that are happening at certain campuses that um, traditionally haven't shared with one another. We're trying to build a sharing culture um, where the ideas and the practices are shared. Because when we think about equity, sometimes the biggest equity gap we see is in the um, access to the same kind of instructional experiences. Um, So through our coaching model I would say is one way that we're looking at addressing um, equity by engaging in conversations and providing opportunities to share as well as um, one of the things Austin ISD is looking to do is help campuses identify what is the problem that you're trying to solve and it's going to be different at every campus and solving for that problem through Um, a collective effort.
5: I think another way that we address it, uh, we're a girls' school, we're a STEM school, and um, we have a makerspace. We've had one for the last three years. And what irks me to no end is when I hear other educators talk about how they have their their makerspace open for after-school activities or enrichment, or just a certain group of kids get to use it. And it's the kids that self-select to use those um, spaces. And a lot of times that doesn't bring you diversity in your in your program. So to get diversity, you have to give exposure to everybody. So in our makerspace, we send every eighth grader through a course in that class. And it's so that everybody gets that experience, not just a select few. So I think that you have to look at your curriculum and your programming and make sure that you have um, access for all kids and that it's not a self-selection type of situation.
2: You just said it right there. (laughs) So, um, one of the things that that I struggle with, and I had never really put it in that format of, of, you know, are we equitable? Um, You know, in in all of our classrooms since the beginning of time, especially elementary kids, they've gone through this what we call rotation. Everybody gets to go to music, everybody gets to go to PE, everybody gets to go to the library. maybe in most schools everybody gets to go to the computer lab but what are they doing in that computer lab you know it's not the maker spaces it's not the robotics it's not the the creativity piece of of technology and so in my years of playing this game i have always strived to try to get the te- the content area classroom teacher the one who is with those kids all day every day to understand that Technology, makerspace, these things are not things that we need to take our kids down the hall to do. This needs to happen every day in every classroom by every teacher so that every kid can experience this. We have a a, a big elementary robotics program in our district. It's a wonderful thing and excites me to watch it happen. However, it saddens me every day I see this happening because it's that handful of kids who have chosen or been selected to be in this. How many times are we giving these great opportunities to our GT kids, um, to our kids who stay after school for select programs, but the average run-of-the-mill kid or that low achiever, they never get these opportunities. So I think our goal as administrators is to make sure that these tools are available, provided to Every student, not just those select ones, you know, the kid who finishes their work first gets to go do this. The kid who always gets, you know, scores high on their on their tests, they get to do this. Every kid needs to do this. And so that's a challenge that every one of us in this room have, is how do we make this happen? Yeah, it's going to cost more money because there are going to be more robotics kits that are needed. Um, Yeah, it's going to cost more money because we're going to have to provide more staff to make this happen. Yeah, it's going to cost more money because we're going to have to provide more PD for these people, but you know what? That's the kind of money that we need to spend regularly to make sure that our kids do get these things.
4: So, it is really good to hear these two perspectives because I can tell you traveling uh, nationally, this is the the, the core issue that all of our schools are facing right now is, is how do I systematize these great experiences? How do I make them available? And there's some thinking outside the box things going on, like Oakland Unified, I'll just mention a best practice they're doing I think is really cool. They're introducing computer science to ESL students as a language choice option, um, and they're teaching it through their English department um, with English teachers that are sometimes one, maybe two steps ahead of the students in terms of understanding the curriculum. This is, this is fantastic, right? Teacher growth model, teachers learning, something new. Um, at the same time, they're experiencing and sharing something new for a student. I think that's a really cool concept. And they're looking to push that down um, to a much earlier age, which we, we, we believe wholeheartedly that if you introduce every student to the line of thought of computer science, you open their mind to thinking differently. It's not that everybody has to be a computer scientist, right? And this idea of, of expanding robotics programs is great, but let's not forget fab labs and all kinds of different types of uh, creator-maker things that we can do that are very low cost, um, that open up the mind to thinking and leading and owning the learning. Um, so there's uh, I love hearing this because it is the, the issue. I mean, think about it. You know, my, my own son, who's in fifth grade, you know, wanted to be in a, a tech course. And the name of the course is called Gateway to Tech. Think about the term, gate, right? Gateway. Yeah, I know it's all in good intention, but only a certain number of kids get in that course. There's only 30 slots for a kid to get into that course, right? To everything that you said. It's like every child has an opportunity to develop their mind to do these things at an early age. And they're all going to grow and learn in this this is our number one issue. This should be solved by community, including companies like Dell and other companies helping participate in this in the community. This is a problem that can be solved.
0: Now, originally I was gonna open it up to Q&A, but we're unfortunately running out of time. So what I'm going to do is ask you one last question, which is, what is something that we wish would be left in the past, something that would not Keep going forward with the modern classroom. I will start. I am really sick and tired of seeing interactive whiteboards. No offense. Sorry. If any of you have interactive whiteboards in here, keep going, but also I'm over there. Okay, so we're going to start with Boris. And if you don't want to say something that you'd prefer to leave in the past, say something you want to do going forward.
5: But feel free to be critical. We'll come back to him. I'll go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, somebody, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll go. I think Chris is the early adopter. I yeah, I, yes I am. Uh, a couple things. One I want to end on, there is, uh, especially with the ed tech group that we have right now, we are doing some really great stuff in education. Our teachers are doing these fabulous things and what we're not good about is being able to share that amongst each other and share that with a larger community. So I would love some type of ed tech, something that helps us make our work more public and, and something that helps us share and have that um, conversation back and forth. Sean Duffy, EdTech Austin, are you in
0: here? Where is he? He said well, effort, when you effort. when you talk about
5: early adopters and what they're doing and how to make that work and how to spread that work, it's because it, they're in their own little classrooms and we don't get to see it, or I get to see it as administrator, and then I get to you know talk to the people that I talk to, but our t- other teachers don't get to see what's happening. So I really love to see our work being made more public and and the positive things um, being said out there. Uh, yeah. Do
0: you have That was the last moment, do you wanna add anything else?
5: No, I mean, that was really it. I I, I think that we also, I am a big, I, we've got to make our schools look like galleries. We've got to make our work. We've got to take down the lockers and take down the walls. We've got to get the, the individual desks out of our classrooms because until you do that, you're still going to put the teacher up front, and they're still going to direct teach. So you've got to create these really cool and collaborative spaces. And if you change the space, the culture of the class will change behind that. So if you really want to do something you know outrageous in your classrooms just get rid of the desk and tell them now figure it out right that'll change everything
4: yes Cut. you just stole my thunder i was going to say move forward in modern classroom and get rid of the desk yep. that's one thing we want to leave behind that is awesome i will tell you that it's easy to take a 36 seated six row six column <laughs> rectangle classroom and turn it into six six seat potted desks That simple change profoundly changes the way the social environment works. Just taking out the rows and columns and putting in tables, cheap tables, right? Just that change opens up ed tech to actually even work better in terms of time periods. Um, That'd be my one thing.
3: I think um, my one thing that I would like to see left in the past is a disproportionate um, value that's placed on standardized tests. Um, our assessment um, pedagogy, or the way we value um, what is learned over time, um, it is stifling uh, the ability to do the kinds of things that we've been talking about. Um, until there's kind of a mind shift, both um, at leadership levels and uh, community levels, even. So the 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 community embracing that there needs to be a shift there and that that really is a key to unlocking what a modern classroom could look like because the freedom and the creativity and the freedom to fail um, definitely is open at that point. Not that the assessment's bad. We can do it better. Just make it low stakes, not high stakes. <laughs> Try this high stakes.
0: I remember that tax test. That thing was terrible. <laughs> that was the worst. Oh my gosh. Okay, manner ISD, I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds. Okay.
2: So. One thing I would really like to see change, and this is an easy thing, it doesn't cost a penny. So in our faculty meetings, we have faculty meetings every week, and who knows best what's happening in a classroom? Who does the best things in the classroom? Some of our most wonderful teachers but you know what we have to take those teachers to conferences we have to take those teachers uh, other districts pay some of our teachers to come tell about the wonderful things that they're doing but you know what those teachers cannot get a place in their faculty meeting to share the great things that are happening in their classroom so if we can share amongst our walls that i want to tear down but if we want to if we can share amongst our walls the great things that are happening in our schools with our colleagues we have just made a huge change.
5: Hallelujah. Amen.
0: Anything else, Royce? One last word?
1: No. I mean, that, that's very powerful because I think that we have people right in our own schools that can do tremendous work in training others, but we don't give them the opportunity to do that. So, great job. Can we give
0: these guys a round of applause, please? A big thanks to all of our commentators, and thanks to you for listening as well. If those interviews were any indication, every school and district approaches technology and innovation a little differently. In fact, if you're looking to hear more stories about how schools are changing, EdSurge just launched the fourth and final chapter of our 2016 State of EdTech report, and it includes 15 accounts of where schools are championing professional development, EdTech selection, culture shifts, and more. Check it all out on edsurge.com research. And with that, I'm Mary Jo Matta. We'll see you next time. This is the EdSurge Podcast.